Welcome, Gene. Thank you for joining the My Charter Story podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. This is a new format of My Charter Story that focuses on opportunities presented to CFA charter holders, specifically as a result of their engagement with the CFA Society community. Let's start from the beginning. I understand that when you took your first CFA exam, you did not know anyone who had participated in the program. This is quite unusual. As a student, what were your initial career interests and what ultimately influenced you to pursue the CFA charter? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's true. I didn't know anybody when I first took the exam and part of it's just due to my sort of unusual background. So I attended to the, the U.S. Naval Academy where uh, you know I did electrical engineering and I was focused on becoming a submarine officer, which I did you know, through the nuclear power program and everything. But along the way, I really got bitten by, and it's it's kind of embarrassing, but probably a lot of people say this, you know, kind of the Warren Buffett bug. You know, I read some books about him and that whole thing sounded really interesting. And the idea of being some kind of a uh, investment manager, you know, like a value manager, uh, that kind of thing, you know, an active manager just really appealed to me, but I really knew nothing about how to achieve that. So I continued to learn what I could during my time in the Navy. And then I ended up getting out after about um, about five years in the Navy. You know, I did one uh, submarine tour and then one tour ashore. And then after that, you know, I really wanted to break into the industry and I couldn't figure out how to do it. You know, it was kind of at a time when you could kind of see the high watermark. This was around 2007. So the, the financial crisis hadn't really taken off yet, but there just wasn't a lot of hiring and I, I didn't have the right background. I didn't even understand the kind of things you were supposed to do, like get an MBA or, you know, things like that. So I actually took a job, you know, doing operations, non-financial work directly out of the Navy for in a warehouse for a company called amazon.com, which ironically, if I'd stayed there and, you know, let my restriction stock vest and everything over time, it probably would have been pretty lucrative to hang on, but I was committed to, to this process. So and one of those things I did is I looked at the type of people I was interested in in being like, and I saw that the CFA charter was the thing that seemed to tie them all together. When I looked at different ways to improve my resume or, or become more attractive, that's really what drove me to to approach the, the CFA program. I hope you don't mind me sharing that you were not successful in your first attempt at level one. You've been pretty open about this in other publications. What did you do differently the next time? Oh, of course. Well... I guess the short answer is prepare. So uh, my problem was I didn't quite know what to expect. And also um, I took the December, I guess it was the the December 2007 administration of level one, and which also highly correlates to peak season, you know, for online shopping. And yeah, I work for Amazon. So (laughs) in fact, we were working six days a week, sometimes seven, and it was actually difficult to even my shift happened to run uh, Monday through Saturday at that time. So it was actually even difficult to get off the day to go take the exam. You know, that's how busy it was. And I knew I wasn't prepared, but I've, uh, you know, slid by the skin of my teeth before on things like that. So I gave it a shot and I did not slide by on that one. It was much more in-depth and, and a lot more information than than I was really prepared for. So what I learned from that, and, and again, I don't want to disparage uh, the curriculum, but I you know, what I learned from that is that the curriculum was very important, but personally, I benefited from, you know, getting commercial study materials and additional online test banks and things and just getting the curriculum delivered in different ways to me, I noticed as well, which I was able to kind of dust myself off and go back in for the June uh, 2008 exam and was successful on level one at that time. 
Yep. Certainly, they're all different types of learning styles, and there's some wonderful resources out there to complement the curriculum and all kinds of uh, resources, study group, mock exams. So I, I know people take advantage of, of whatever they need that, that suits their style. Uh, I noticed that you've been involved with five CFA societies, and you currently serve as president of CFA Society Memphis. Can you share a little bit about your experiences with these societies and what influenced your decision to join the society board? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you just mentioned is a great segue. So between the time I first took level one and the time I was successful, I was able to get placed into a investment role at a mutual fund family, which I was very excited about. And, and one of the things I found is that very first society experience I had, which was the CFA Society at Louisville, that was actually a big part of my success, I think, in future in future administrations just because they had a very well-built-out group of, of candidates that we sort of supported each other. And I wasn't actually based in Louisville. I was based in Lexington, Kentucky, which didn't have its own society, but it's a little over an hour away. Um, and so, you know, I attended every meeting I could and spent a lot of time with those candidates, both online and offline. And in addition to helping with the exam, I think that was the first real sense of community that I got from the CFA world, which was, you know, I, I still keep up with those people even today that um, were working through that with me, gosh, over 10 years ago now, 15 years ago, something like that. So to connect the dots on the five societies, at that time, I mentioned I was in Lexington. So actually, Louisville and Cincinnati are sort of equidistant from Lexington. So again, since my employer was covering the, the dues, I did join a second society simultaneously so that I could, at least if they had particularly compelling speakers or content or events, I could go up there and, and experience those as well. So that was uh, a good experience as well. I still remember some of the some of the things I saw there in Cincinnati. I saw Jeffrey Gunlock do a presentation probably in 2014. Um, a lot of good memories there. From there, after I was in Lexington, I relocated to Cleveland, Ohio, which was actually for a role that was not directly investment related, but it, it only lasted about a year. But I did affiliate with the CFA Society of Cleveland and attend meetings up there because, again, even though I was, I was slightly removed from direct investment management work, you know, I still greatly valued those experiences and, and the content and the community and all of the above. So, And it's funny because I almost took a job in Cleveland based on a connection I made in the, in the society up there, although ultimately... When that experience in Cleveland ran down, I did end up relocating to Memphis, Tennessee, which is my fourth society, which is the one that I really spent the most time involved with. And as you mentioned, I, I came on the board a few years ago and have been active in the, the research challenge here and a number of other things. And as you mentioned, you know, I have moved to the president's role at this time, and it's been definitely the society I spent the most time with. And um, I, again, it's been instrumental to my my connections here in Memphis. In fact, I moved to Memphis for a job that I actually met through. I did get an MBA eventually for executives on the process. And so I actually placed into that job based on that kind of networking. But after working in that role for about four years, again, I was approached by somebody in the CFA Society of Memphis who was looking at retirement and asked if I was interested in an investment role on you know, the wealth management side, which is not something that I've been involved in before. But given my previous experience with mutual funds, hedge funds, and things like that, I had some experience that they valued, and I was actually able to transition into the deputy slash co-CIO role here at my current firm, which now you know I am the, co the, the sole chief investment officer, which, again, I really have the CFA Society of Memphis to thank for that. 
And then also, uh, just for the fifth one, just to close the loop, I, I spend a lot of time in Birmingham, Alabama. And in fact, my household is based there now, even though I work in Memphis. And again, sort of like my experience in, in Louisville and Cincinnati, just because I spend time in Birmingham, I went ahead and joined the CFA Society of Alabama as well and do try to attend those meetings when I can. So that's my five societies. And it's been quite a whirlwind. I mean, it's 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 been really right along with my career and my development as a, as a person and a professional. I mean, the CFA universe has been right there with me the whole time, it feels like. Well, you've certainly moved around quite a bit and had a variety of roles, as, as you've mentioned. Has the CFE program helped prepare you for those various transitions? Oh, I would say definitely. You know, as, as probably everybody knows, the CFA curriculum is very broad-based and gives you exposure to a lot of different worlds. And I think that I definitely relied on that experience. I mean, just for example, when I worked at the hedge fund here in Memphis, there was some international transactions that took place involving currency translation and hedging and things like that. And at least the way that I'm wired, it's not entirely self-evident to me how that stuff works. But I thought back to, uh, and I know the curriculum has changed a lot, but I thought back to level two and the currency translation stuff and working with futures and forwards and stuff like that. It's not that I was prepared to hit the ground running and, and be a currency trader on day one, but I, I felt like I had the fundamentals and I knew what to think about and what to review. So that that's just one example of I think how something that I thought would have very little value to me when I was a candidate turned out to be, to be very relevant to me. I'm switching gears a little bit. I noticed you've expressed interest in improving education in schools and prisons. What type of work are you doing in that space? Well, I've been not particularly active lately. We did do some volunteer work for a program here in in Memphis that intercepts um, high-risk youth from the court system and attempts to help them through a process to prevent them from passing through the criminal justice system more than than once if possible. But uh, I mean, more broadly to me, it seems like that the two things, and we'd start with education. You know, when you, a lot of people look at young people, particularly millennials or now it's Gen Z or whatever, and they say, well, are you prepared for the future or are you ready to, to face these challenges? And really, it's not their responsibility, really, because it's only based on what they've been prepared with. And particularly in inner cities, the you know the K-12 education, I won't get into the details of, <clears throat> of what the problems might be, but there's I think there's no question that the outcomes that are being experienced are just really unfortunate in a lot of cases. And there's entire generations of people, particularly after the lockdowns of 2020, entire generations of, of students that are not prepared to be successful going forward. The stuff on prisons, again, I don't have, uh, obviously, if you commit a, a crime serious enough to be incarcerated for a long period of time, that that's something very grave. But I think it's unfortunate that many people have the attitude of, of locking people up and throwing away the key because the way these people come out of these institutional environments, it seems like a great opportunity wasted that we could look at prisons really as more of a rehabilitation opportunity than than a punishment, which of course it is. It is a punishment, but there's just a great opportunity wasted there. And I think in both cases, the, the parallel for me is that in both cases, you're not really there by choice. And what I mean by that is, of course, if you commit a crime, that that's your choice. But once you're institutionalized, just like if you're a second grader, you don't really have a lot of choices. And from there, really, it's not, it's more on the system to provide the best possible rehabilitation and outcome for both students and and those incarcerated. Sounds like a very rewarding space to to volunteer in. And certainly with all of your educational background, you're in a great position to, to provide that. 
uh, support. One last question for you. What advice would you have for young professionals considering a career in finance? Yeah, I get that question a lot. And what I would say is it's really hard to understand what you're up against until you have a chance to sit on this side of the table and post a job, for example, and get a deluge of resumes and actually have to look at a stack of resumes and and pick through them and find people to interview and ultimately to hire. What I can say is I think people don't understand that you really only do get a few seconds, I think, in most resume looks. It's not like there's some kind of scorecard where you get credit for this and that. And in fact, you know, we're my firm is not a size where we have any kind of automated process, but I think it's hard to even get to that point of being considered if you don't have a lot of thought put into the way you're presenting yourself. And so what I would say is if you could do anything to stand out, and in particular, you know, if you're looking for an investment management type role, I, I would say anything you can do to stand out. I think a lot of people think that their course selection makes them stand out or they could express interest, you know, through by saying, "Well, I re- I want to work in investment management," or "I really want to work in investment management." But but the actual activities you undertake, and probably the best example is being a CFA level one candidate. When I see that, or if I see somebody has passed CFA level one, that tells me that a they're serious about it, b they actually know something about it, and actually, the third thing, which is a very serious issue in this industry is that you have to be ready to pass your regulatory exams. And so if I see that you're successful as a CFA level one candidate, that makes me feel like you're probably going to be able to pass your series 65 or six, you know, series seven or, or whatever that may be and really hit the ground running. I guess if I had one piece of advice, it would be show, don't tell, you know, do things through demonstrated action that actually make you stand out. Well, that is great advice to wrap up this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today on the My Charter Story podcast and sharing your experiences and what your interests and passions are. Appreciate you coming. Sure. Thank you very much. This was a great conversation. I appreciate it.